Welcome to Native Currents, a critical look at the week's biggest stories in Indian country. On this week's show, a historic week in Indigenous Crown Relations. The 140th anniversary of the introduction of the Racist Indian Act. How did Canadians celebrate? A suicide crisis in Attawapiskat and the emergency debate in the House of Commons that followed. And what could be a game changer from the Supreme Court of Canada? Confirmation that Métis and non-status Indians have rights under the Constitution. Where to from here? I'm Glenn Wheeler. And I'm Stephen Van Loffeld. And uh, welcome to, to this week's show. Um, it's been quite the week, Glenn. Big news week. But, you know, aside from, I think, uh, the... Um, the Liberal government being voted in uh, this past October, I believe it was. It's been it's been a considerable week for First Nation issues. I mean, both I guess good and bad. April twelfth was the one hundred and fortieth anniversary of the introduction of the Indian Act. The Indian Act, much discussed, much criticized, and much some efforts to try and replace the Indian Act with something else, but no. Something else has arrived yet. The Indian Act, of course, was something that undid the treaty relationship because when um, when the Europeans uh, arrived, uh, we had number of treaties covering a lot of the country, a broad uh, understanding between sovereign indigenous nations and the crown, replaced by bans, more than 600, postage stamp-sized uh, areas in Canada, uh, which undid the guarantees that uh, that were originally made. And did you know, Steve, that the South Africans arrived here in the 1940s, looked at the reserve system, and based the apartheid system in South Africa on the the mechanisms in the Indian Act? Oh, absolutely. You know, we've had uh, we've had many repressive repressive regimes come to Canada and, and study uh, what the government has done to 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 our peoples here in Canada. I mean, it's it's appalling. It, that, was, it uh, was the Indian Act also that uh, there was earlier provisions required uh, the residential school system, children between uh, certain ages were required under the provisions of the Indian Act to attend residential schools. So uh, another of the tragedies uh, in, uh, in our history enshrined in the, in, in the, in the Act. And well, and it's been on, like you said, April 12th, uh, Canadians, you know, and, and I jokingly say we're celebrating 140 years of the Indian Act, but I mean, truth be told, I don't think any of our people were actually uh, rejoicing. And in fact, you know, many, many, Communities, indigenous peoples would rather see it abolished. Um, you know, it was the it was the first piece of legislation that replaced our traditional governments uh, with the chief and council system, most common today. And you know, this has many communities were matriarchal, which means you know that they the, that the women were the the community leaders. And what this did was replace um, replace many of our women's with the men because that was white society back then. Um, men being the elected leaders, so and and often many of our our communities still operate under the uh, the the ban system today. So you know, I could just quote from Ontario Regional Chief Isidore Day here uh, in this story, and he says the Indian Act has been amended over the years, but it still remains an oppressive, racist piece of legislation that continues to inflict irreparable damage on our peoples. And this is this is true, Glenn. You know, I mean, uh, I was actually at the store the other day. And uh, pulled out my status card, and I'd be damned if the uh, the person behind the till said, "You know, you're about to expire next month." 
and and that's and that's exactly true, you know, because these these status cards, you know, these these arbitrary um, cards that say I am an Indian under the Indian Act, and therefore I'm entitled to you know such and such rights, they actually expire. So, so I guess if you don't take uh, further action uh, a month from now, you won't be an Indian. Well, you know, based on this, based on this piece of paper and the the individual on the uh, other side of the store, they, they 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 won't be they won't be providing they won't be taking the tax off the you know <laughs> the next purchase, but you know, all jokes aside, you know, we have uh, we have many communities that are experiencing considerable crises, right? I mean, the the, the lack of development, you know, the the helplessness, the the welfare state within a lot of these communities. I mean, this is large part um, been brought about because of the Indian Act. And on that note, Steve, uh, this week in the House of Commons, we had an emergency debate regarding the suicide crisis in Attawapiskat. The Indian Act was invoked as the as the as an underlying cause of many of the problems facing our our communities today in terms of the the lack of agency, the lack of of economic development, the despair, uh, the helplessness. So, what what better illustration of the legacy of the Indian Act than Attawapiskat? And the debate in the House of Commons. Yeah, this is this is just a tragic story. Um, you know, since uh, news broke this this past weekend that uh, last Saturday, um, I guess it was April 9th, um, 11, 11 young individuals uh, tried to commit suicide within the community, the small community of two thousand uh, in northern Ontario. I mean, eleven people in one day. That's that that is, um, you know, that that's astonishing. But it speaks to. You know, really, the lack of opportunities, the the oppressiveness again with the, with the Indian Act, um, lack of mental mental health and addiction services in, in these communities, just lack of general opportunity, right? So when there's nothing but hopelessness and despair within the community, and and I think I guess uh, opportunities for for advancing oneself are are minimal. Um, you know, people start to say, you know, why? Why even deal with this? You know, it's 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 better to uh, unfortunately um, commit suicide. And you know, I many the the emergency debate looked at what what the government can do, right? Um, and certainly there are there are tangible things. Attawapiskat, there's been no mental health worker for some months now. Uh, apparently, they they hired someone. Uh, that person came and. And looked at the housing that um, that she would provide would be provided in the community, and changed her mind about taking the the job when she uh, learned that she would not be staying in the hospital residence. So then uh, she quit, and um, and there was no one there. And uh, the the local hospital has been without a clinical director, which is a key position in uh, providing health services in that community. So to some extent. There is a specific specific issue about about housing, and um, one wonders uh, where the eighteen uh, mental health workers have been flown into uh, to Attawapiskat are are staying. Um, so that's I mean the housing situation is a tangible specific thing that can be can be dealt with. 
Um, well, but and, it, you know, I mean, and, and the reality is, is that, you know, the, it can be dealt with, but of course they, they cite the high cost of being able to get the materials up to these rural and remote places is one of the barriers to why, you know, the, um, the, the, the housing crisis is what it is, right? It just costs too much money to get it up there. And sadly, um, the lack of, the lack of housing available to not only the community residents, you know, because of the the overcrowdedness that, that happens there. And that's, you know, one of one of the, I think, contributors to, you know, poor mental health and just poor health outcomes altogether. But you're flying typically people from southern Ontario up to these rural and remote communities. And it's such a shock for them because it's it's not what they're used to, right? And so, and then not being able to provide adequate housing for, for these individuals, you often get high turnover, high turnover, people flying in, flying out, you know, that diminishes the trust between patient and, and the care provider because, you know, you're just going to leave anyways. So why why would I tell you anything? Why would I open up to you? Why would I tell you what is going on inside me personally? Because you're just going to leave. The teachers do it, the doctors do it, you know, the the nurses do it, and you know something something needs to be done about um, being able to provide some more stable and I think long term care to to Attawapiskat, many of these these communities that have you know people flying in and flying out. Charlie Angus, the uh, the MP for that uh, area, was describing how. Uh, some years ago, when the previous, uh, when the Liberal government before this was in power, they built a healing lodge in Attawapiskat. The Conservatives under Stephen Harper were elected, cut all funding, so the healing lodge has stayed empty without programming, uh, with no activity going on for all these many years, uh, once again because of money. So uh, so the housing, uh, the housing and, and shortage thereof and the lack of programming in the healing lodge are dollars and cents issues and uh, there's uh, that's a choice that's a, a government choice that uh, now we see some reconsideration from the from the federal government of the day to uh, to revisit uh, these issues but going forward of course um, there are the the more the more intangible issues of the the legacy of colonialism etc which are harder to deal with yeah, well, you know, all of our communities, I think, uh, to a greater or lesser degree, are, are, are dealing with that. And uh, even though many of, um, uh, I think, the health minister and, and a number of uh, other individuals went up there, um, you know, to actually, I believe it was this past Wednesday, um, you know, to bring their supports and their services. And, you know, and it's, I guess, it's all right for them to go up there and actually see what's going on. But, you know, not much ever comes out of there. They're, these are Band-Aid solutions, you know, people flying in, um, often just for the day, right? They pop in, they pop out again, you know, they, they do their photo ops, and they hear their sound bites, and they fly out. And then the, the realities on the ground don't change, right? Because this is, I believe this is their third state of emergency that they declared um, in as many years, I believe in the last three to five years. So, I mean, there are considerable challenges within within this community, but, you know, I think government doesn't have the answer, right? I mean, money's but one piece, and we often, you know, community needs to drive the solutions, right? I mean, we need to, some elder programs, the elder and youth mentorship programs, um, uh, land-based activities, right? I mean, in order to 
in order for these programs to have better outcomes, there needs to be the ownership of it. So it's really a community process that the government needs to be able to support with funding and with other opportunities. Um, but, I mean, we see that time and time again, when the community takes ownership, they have the autonomy and they're driving the process, that the outcomes increase considerably. So, you know, the government needs to step to the plate, provide some resources, maybe considerable resources to support these community-driven, I think, um, solutions, you know, if, if, I, if I can call them solutions, but opportunities. Absolutely. The, uh, the other big story of the week uh, was from the Supreme Court of Canada, a decision in the Daniels case, a case that has gone on for uh, nearly two decades. And the issue was uh, what would seem to be a fairly arcane legalistic uh, question, whether Métis and non-status Indians are Indians within the meaning of 91 subsection 24 of the Constitution, which says that uh, Indians and, and lands reserved for Indians are the responsibility of the federal government. Uh, and, uh, and the, and the Métis and, and non-status Indians claim that, well, at Confederation there were no such divisions uh, in, in terms of how people, of which people were considered Indians, and we should be included under 9124. And the Supreme Court of Canada agreed, and there was much celebrating. But, of course, uh, now we have to figure out what that decision means in tangible terms. Well, I mean, honestly, what does it mean, right? Because, uh, you know, the Métis and non-status, you know, it was a great day. It says that this was a great day for the over 600,000 Métis and non-status Indians. And this was according to uh, Dwight Dory. He was uh, he was a guest on the show just the other week. Um, and he's national, he's national chief of the Congress of Aboriginal Peoples. Um, I mean, really, you know, this, I think, affords as a first step, you know, an opportunity for, for the, the Métis and non-status to, you know, have a seat at the table, as they say, you know, and to open a dialogue in terms of negotiating um, rights. So, And it's a, one can expect a claim from the, the Métis in particular that they, they too should have access to programs such as the Non-Insured Health Benefits Program, to educational funding, to the financial benefits that uh, that status brings to uh, to status Indians, uh, with non-status Indians is a little bit uh, less clear, but certainly from the Métis, I think one can expect uh, claims uh, for those for coverage under the, under those benefit plans. Yeah, but those mi- those benefits are so minimal. I mean, what 150 bucks toward glasses? I mean. Uh, if you know if if this if you're happy about this ruling because you have access to the non-status benefits, you know you get 150 bucks towards <laughs> prescription glasses every other year. I mean, you know, um, you don't get the free education. You know, so I mean, the these things that people think that Indians get. I mean, some some of them are 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 true. Some of them aren't. You know, um, Pam uh, Palmer, uh, a well-known commentator on. Uh, Indigenous Matters uh, was quite critical of the Daniels decision uh, and suggests in a uh, blog post uh, following the decisions that the big winners are going to be national Aboriginal organizations who uh, who can expect to get um, their cut of program funds for their organizations. Their win is big, Pam says. So she is uh, quite skeptical of the of the of the meaning of the uh, of the act, and of course, it's so it's so general that everyone's trying to figure out what what 
what it does mean. Everyone is reading the tea leaves to, to see what comes next. But according to Pam, uh, the only sure thing is that certain organizations will, will, get, uh, will get money. And she's there quite will be uh, cynical about that. More, more people will have less. You know, I, I get that, you know, that there are differences and, you know, there are rights and treaty rights and and, uh, and whatnot. But, you know, we've been, we've fallen prey into the government politics of, of division, right? It's not we're 1.4 million as a collective and we're strong. We're 1.4 million, and that's a number of overall Aboriginal Indigenous peoples in Canada. But instead of us being 1.4 million strong, you know, we're, we're these pockets of divided people and it's you versus me and I versus them and she versus we. And, you know, I, I think we can respect our differences, but if we're going to if we're going to come together as a people, you know, and advance our interests, I think it's it, we're we come at it from a stronger position as 1.4 as opposed to, you know, 600,000 divided among the various provinces, and you know we don't recognize those past Ontario or you know those up there. So you know I I really see this as an opportunity for First Nation leaders to begin engaging in a dialogue and a process of reconciliation among ourselves, Glenn. The other the other issue that uh, Pam Palmer raises is is she suggests that uh, people who uh, who don't have very much contact with uh, with an indigenous identity will use this to to try and uh, manufacture some identity for themselves to get in on the uh, the financial benefits that they might perceive as coming with uh, with with status. No, every everyone wants to become an Indian because because of the financial gain that's afforded to to all of us. I mean, one only needs to look at the communities and you know and, and the the challenges. Like, I don't think people are running to you know running out to get their their status card. Um, you know, so I I, I don't quite agree with that um i suppose the other issue here is is the the history of assimilation many people have lost their their connection with their indigenous heritage not because they don't care not because they're not interested it's because the white man shamed it out of them well exactly to to have indigenous and i can speak from personal experience in newfoundland when i was growing up to have indian blood was to was to have a scandal in your family, something that uh, that you didn't talk about, because no good would come of it. You would be uh, you would be disparaged as a result. And uh, this is it was this, akin. To, it was a, it was akin to having a, a an uncle who you know was a molester in the family. Well, exactly. It was a source of shame, not pride. So can can people be be blamed for having been assimilated? And of course, on the east coast, the Mi'kmaq people. The, who had first contact with the Europeans uh, were most subject to assimilation. So to, to some extent, uh, you know, I, I regret to say that I think Pam is blaming the victims because people didn't choose to be assimilated. It was the result of government policy. Yeah, I mean, we only need to, we also need, we can look to um, the, the 60s scoop as well, right, where we had often well-meaning social workers coming into to First Nation communities and saying, oh, they raised their, ch- their children differently than me. That's not how I was raised. Therefore, uh, they must be doing a bad job and we need to save these kids. So we have, you know, generations, several couple of, several generations of, of people who have grown up again with their identity robbed from them. And now, uh, you know, they're finding out 
who they are. You know, I, I work in, in Toronto, you know, in the Aboriginal community. And, you know, many of our people, the, the dispossessed are, are here, right? And it's a process of reclaiming who you are. So I think we need to be more inclusive as opposed to saying that, you know, people are only, people only want to find out who they're, who they are. People only want to be an Indian because of the benefits, because, um, you know, we just, which is why I say we need to engage in a process of reconciliation among ourselves. You know, we can't, we can't just shame people or not accept them because of um, their how they may have experienced colonization with their family. You know, we need we need to heal as a people. To use uh, Pam's own words, we need to decolonize our minds. Exactly. So that's a bit ironic. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, Prime Minister Trudeau, as you mentioned. People are saying they're looking at the tea leaves, you know, and I think it's still early, kind of early days in terms of the implications, you know, once again, the government's going to go back and, and study it. But one of the things that Trudeau did say is that, you know, this is a landmark ruling that have broad consequences and impacts, adding that the government will need to go back and study exactly what the impacts will be. Um, so, I mean, we know that it's going to be cost more, um, but... Trudeau did, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau did go on to say, but I can guarantee you one thing, that the path forward will be together as we move forward. You know, maybe maybe we need to encompass that thinking, Glenn. Well, and perhaps it's uh, it's opportune that this decision from the Supreme Court of Canada has, has arrived now as we embark on a process to replace the Indian Act. So we know who must be included at the table. Mm -hmm. And we know that um, that everyone has to be there. Uh, so good that we clarify this uh, at the outset of this uh, of this reconciliation process uh, rather than later. So we know who who the actors are in this uh, in this unfolding drama. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been uh, it's been a busy week. It's been uh, an exciting week. Um, certainly a week filled with challenges and uh you know that brings our show to a to a con conclusion for this week so we want to hear from you the listener uh your thoughts your feedback uh you can reach out to us several several ways you can uh, email us nativecurrents at gmail.com you can also uh, get in touch with us on our uh, social media twitter and facebook at native currents um and uh also you can reach out to us on our uh, website, which is nativecurrents.blogspot.ca. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes. Like us on iTunes. Um, and send us your feedback. Send us your comments. Let us know what's happening in your community, uh, how we can make the show better, uh, what you like about it. And, um, you know, because we, we, we want to we re read your comments here. This, this show is really about you. And uh, if you like what you hear, you can also uh, you can hit the donate button on, uh, on our blog spot. So uh, with that, have a great week, and we shall see you in one week. See you next week. <laughs>